Caution. Learning in progress. Welcome back to Precision Plantings, Smarter Every Season. This show here is hosted by Precision Plantings product support team as we chase our mission to try and get a little better every day and a little smarter every season. So with me today in the, in the studio is Tyler Hubert, and he's going to take us from where we ended last time to where we're going next. Yeah, so last time uh, we took a suggestion actually from uh, a dealer. Jake Bruni was the name of that dealer, and he wanted to know a couple different things. He was really interested in kind of how do we help a grower take the organic matter maps that we get from Smart Firmer. And we had a very deep conversation on Smart Firmer too. Um, but how do we take that information and how do we teach growers to utilize that for the sake of variable rating seeding and for multi-hybrid? And so Corey Mulbauer and Aaron Herman, who are two of our research agronomists here, were nice enough to sit with us for a couple hours, actually, and yeah, let we, us just kind of pepper them with questions. Yeah, we got a little long-winded. It was nice. <laughs> and so... Um, like you said, Paul, the last episode that we have heavily focused on organic matter, and then the conversation kind of segued into how do we take that information and turn it into variable rate seeding maps? What's the next step? Yeah, exactly. And so basically that's kind of where we're going to pick up now is we're going to join right back with them uh, in the conversation as we started to segue into variable rate capabilities or using organic matter maps for variable rating seed. And as a note, anyone who comes along later or catches this two years down the road, if you haven't caught the previous episode with Corey and Aaron and we're talking about organic matter, that is not a detriment. You can consume these episodes in either direction. They are each standalone. The content's good and whole. We're just trying to provide the background of how we got to where we are now and why we have these two guys in the room picking their brains and trying to learn more from them. So two hours of, of getting to pick their brains, two hours or more. Getting to pick their brains was great. Let's go ahead and pick up where we left our conversation, talking about uh, variable rate seeding and learn more with Corey and Aaron. Give me an overview of variable rate seeding. Why is it important? Why would a grower want to do it? All right. Well, this is Corey Mulbauer here. Um, just to get started, essentially what variable rate seeding is, is we're choosing how many plants uh, or what plant density we want to put on an acre of ground. And the things that we want to keep in mind when we're choosing that population or that plant density is what is the water and the nutrient capacity of that acre of ground and how many plants does it make sense to put out there to optimize the potential and yield without running out of water or running out of nutrients and also without limiting our yield potential by not having enough plants to optimize the available water nutrients. So it's a balance of, of fitting the right number of plants to the available water nutrients that are on that acre of ground. And it's, it's really a simple concept like that. One analogy that's been used in the past is how many straws can you put into a milkshake? How many people can drink out of that cup? You know, so the larger the milkshake, the more nutrients, the more water is in there. We can probably uh, support more straws in that milkshake. And if it's a small milkshake, we're going to be limited on contents, and you're going to want to put less straws in there uh, or, or have fewer people, you know, sharing that. So same concept in how you choose a population in variable rate. In your experience, how many fields or how often do you see a field that you think could benefit from variable rate or variable rating seeding? It's very rare that you see or have a farm that's the same soil type with consistent characteristics all the way across fence row to fence row. So a very high percentage of farms have enough variability in soil type, water holding capacity, and nutrient capacity that it's worth doing variable rate seeding. So you're saying it's pretty frequent that it would be beneficial? Yeah, it's very frequent. Aaron, I know you've done quite a bit here at Precision on kind of the, the fertilizer side of things, specific to variable rate. Would would that, would what Corey's saying kind of apply to variable rating fertilizer as well? Yeah, I think absolutely. Um, especially you think of 
soil types and how much fertilizer uh, they give the plant throughout the season, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, the nitrogen levels that uh, sand can supply to crops is going to be just a lot different than our good silt loam soils. And uh, we need to adjust how much we apply to compensate for those differences in soil types. So you talked about yield maps are another really powerful tool to know or to have a better idea of where your zones are in a field, right, that need to be managed. How long or over how many years would you want to see that data? Like OM is not going to move greatly from year to year, right? But do you feel comfortable then with, you know, if I have an, an OM map one time and a couple years worth of yield data, I start to get a pretty good idea of where my zones are in the field and what they're doing and how they need to be managed. How, I guess what I'm asking is, is how much data do you need over how much time before you kind of start to feel comfortable saying variable rate's going to pay off here. I've got something I'm ready to manage differently. Yeah, the neat thing about the OM layer is it's it's a thousand plus year history. So one year of it is very accurately representing the the zones in the field. If I look at a uh, at yield data, I would say bare minimum I want two years just to start to see if there's repeatability. But there's a thousand factors to the outcome of yield. You know we can have cyst nematode problems, drainage problems. We can have lack of water. We can have poor stand establishment. We can have frost issues in lower ground, different than the higher ground. We could have a split hybrid on a planter and and could have big yield swings just from the two hybrids, and then we wouldn't see zones in the field very well. There's a lot of things that make it challenging to uh, to get good zone representation from a yield map alone. If I use yield maps... I would want to pick strategically the years that do the best job representing the variability within a field so that we can pull out the soil type variable and have good, clean, representative data just for that purpose. Um, It's very challenging for a farmer to actually achieve that year over year. Because of all those reasons, it's dangerous to put trust in a mapping service that just takes your Maybe you have a good yield map history, five years or more. If they take your five years of yield map from a given farm and they just stack them on top of each other and do average yield data by zones without picking apart and answering why yield changed in a certain area, as soon as you flip to the averages, you're going to misrepresent a field. And one example of that is we've got a farm by Morton. Uh, It's one of our Ackerman farms that we do a lot of research in. In a dry year, the low ground outperforms the higher, lighter soils by 60, 70 bushel. In a wet year, it flip-flops because the low ground is not drained very well, and we end up waterlogging our root system, and we'll have a 60 bushel yield hit in the good soil because of a drainage problem. If I average those two years, there's no difference between the low and the high ground. So how do I really tell the difference in a multi-year yield map analysis unless I strategically pick apart the reasons why yield changes in a field. So without putting words in your mouth, it kind of feels to me like you're saying you have a lot more confidence in OM maps than you do in yield maps. Correct. Okay. (laughs) That is exactly right. Okay. When it it comes to representing the potential – for crop production or yield by zone in a field. And, and, and I strongly mean the potential because there's a lot of things that can throw curveballs at the final yield uh, in a given season. But uh, OM represents that history that, that stands behind what that potential could be. Yeah, I would add that um, I believe growers, for the most part, understand a lot of their zones. So they understand the poor areas of their field and the good areas of their field um, and why. You know, if you ask, uh, you know, why did this part of the field yield bad? He'll be, say, drainage. He'll say there's a poor stand. It got flooded. There was disease. Typically, they understand why um, the zones react the way they do. And so the yield map is just helping draw, you know, where those zones end and start. 
And that's where Smart Firmer comes in as giving the grower a really high-resolution foundational map to variable rate off of, and then they can use the information they understand about the field because they've been farming it for 5, 10 years, maybe a lifetime, that they can use that information to help them uh, manage each zone individually. But the grower's knowledge of the field is, is really hard to beat with, you know, LIDAR elevation yield as far as telling us what's going on. Those layers are mostly just for the zone creation. And we think Smart Firmer is absolutely phenomenal at doing that better than those other layers. So where you guys are kind of going to is where I want to go. Because I, I think for me... There's not really a challenge out there to, I think when we announced Smart Firmer, when we came out with Smart Firmer, there was a lot of excitement, right? And we have had a lot of growers that want to get Smart Firmer onto their planter, right? So they have the technology on the planter to build those zones, okay? So that's one. In my opinion, and I'm hoping you guys can chime in and tell me if I'm right or wrong, I think there's a lot of growers out there that have in some way, shape, or form the ability to variable rate. Whether that's through the form of, of V-Drive, Rowflow, they have some way of variable rate capability. What do you guys, how many growers would you guys say as a percentage typically do variable rate? I'm putting you on the spot a little bit. I'm going to say 30% okay. would be my guess across the board. Would you agree with that, Aaron? Yeah, I would. I would be right in there. But if you think about it that way, it's also very regionally based and so like you get into northern Illinois northern Indiana where they're changing soil types drastically very quickly almost to be profitable it matters a lot more for them to variable rate versus Illinois maybe parts of Iowa there are parts where you know the variability is just less and you know I'm my guess is there's areas in the nation that, you know, 70, 80% of the guys variable rate if they have the technology. But there's also areas of the nation that it might be as low as 10, and probably the average is around that 30%. So if 30% of guys do variable rate, and I feel like, you know, this is a little bit like kind of, you know, Tyler math, but a large percentage of guys have the ability to variable rate on their planner. What, what is the hurdle? What's keeping guys from, I guess, further embracing or doing variable rate technology more? I would say the first and probably the biggest hurdle um, is just being a little timid or scared to, to pick a rate. Um, actually, that, that choice of, you know, what fertilizer rate or what seeding rate am I going to put in that zone? Because it's a much easier decision just to say, I'm going to shoot a 34,000 on this whole field. And then if we say, hey, we got four zones in this field, what should the rate be? They're not comfortable with that extra decision. And I, I think the way around it is talking through that and helping them understand that we're not trying to upend what they're doing. We're just trying to get them closer to the right rates. And so... For me, it's not that hard to beat a flat rate 34,000 because there's a lot of zones that are getting wrong today. And it's like, can we move those in the right direction? And as the years go by, maybe we can fine-tune the zones. Maybe we can understand the rates better. But I don't think these guys are at, at as much risk as they think by trying to get closer to the right rate in those zones. Corey, yeah. what are your thoughts? There's some guys that I know that are – very aggressive farmers shooting for maximum yield, and they have the belief that I'm going to put high population on every acre, and I'm going to invest in fertilizer to support that high population and high yield goal. The part they're missing out on is the structure of the soil in a non-irrigated environment is what controls the available water to those plants, and they're starving plants of water by overpopulating lighter soil types and, and lighter soils in their fields. And that ends up costing them more yield than if they would understand that if 
by backing up and putting the right number of plants per acre, given the water capability uh, in a zone in a field, would actually increase their profits. Um, so there's that concept of I'm just going to shoot for the home run on every acre on every farm and um, hope for the best. That That's part of it. And then the other is I wish there was more service providers like Jake out there for farmers. I think there are service provider deserts in some areas <laughs> of crop production where there just isn't a, uh, someone like Jake helping farmers with creating maps and helping them put the prescriptions together. Uh, many farmers don't have the confidence and 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 find the time to do the work themselves when it comes to building a prescription map. And that's one of the reasons why we decided to make Smart Firmer an easy button for guys that don't have the mapping capability. They, they can go ahead and put populations in to be controlled automatically by OM uh, on the Smart Firmer. And so that's, that's one method or one tool. Not to say that it's always going to be better than a well-written prescription based on a lot of history on farms, but it at least enables those guys who are out of reach of a good service provider like Jake um, to be able to start to increase their their efficiency and their profitability by an easier way to do appropriate variable rate seeding. So on the heavier conversation there of, of a variable rate, you've got two levels of, of coaching then. You've got the guys that are you know, just – have the technology on their planner to variable rate, but they're not taking advantage of it now because of the limitations you guys just talked about. And Smart Farmer is a an easy step into for the guys in Jake's area. So Jake's customers who's, who've got him there and other similar situations around the, the nation or the world, they're, they're using it in a different aspect. They're, they're tweaking and refining management zones, making better recommendations based off of more information so it's, it's two levels of opportunity in that tool. Yeah, yeah. I, I like what I hear from a, a service provider like Jake where they leave no stone unturned. They're pulling in every data layer they can find to try to fine-tune the zones, make better decisions, and they also want to find answers for everything that they're doing. And, and that's what I aspire to have every farmer have access to. And really, our goal is to do it on a zone basis. But a lot of growers do that on a field basis, you know, today. You know, they try to figure out what hybrid or what population's right on that field. All we're trying to do is take it down to the zone level, giving them a super clear map of where those zones are at, and um, really just managing on the zone level and tweaking. Uh, and Smart Firmer is another great tool of that. Maybe they have soil sergo or elevation maps that, you know, don't really follow the zones perfectly. Um, an OM map from Smart Firmer is very high resolution, and we can get those lines dialed in, which in some areas of the country are, is super important because they're changing rapidly and they have, you know, very small um, zones. Going back <clears throat> just a little bit to the question of why guys aren't doing it, um, even though they have the capabilities to it, in these areas that don't have a good service provider, do you think some of it's due to the fact that these guys have, have looked at it and seen the the wet year, the dry year, where they're looking at the, the yield maps and they said, one year this was my high-yielding crop, and the next year this was my high-yielding area. How do I write a script for this when I don't know what the weather is going to be this year? Do I increase the low my high organic matter area, which is low ground, or do I pull back and leave that at low because I know it's going to drown out? over time or what's what's your opinion on some of that yeah so probably the best way to correlate where we need to be for the next season comes back to the the ability of an area of a field to provide the needed water for a crop that's probably the best uh simplified way to think about it and if if we're seeing low yield due to drainage problems and drowning out it's not a reason to pull back on population even though yield is limited we have excess water there. There's we, we can't damage the potential of that zone by planting too many plants. Uh, that's never going to be the cause. Um, the potential that that zone has is always going to be high. But some years we get too much water and we don't invest in good drainage, then we're going to lose all that potential. But it's not the cause of 
too many plants. It's always going to be the lack of drainage management in that zone. So that's a problem with only looking at yield as far as trying to determine how many plants should I put in a zone in a field. We've got to understand why the yield limitations there if there is one. Um, so low ground, high organic matter, black soil should always get your high population when we're talking about corn. And it's the opposite then in lighter ground. If you think of it, uh, another way would be the probability um, year in, year out over the seasons of farming, you know, on, on how well we can sustain or achieve a certain yield on a part of a field. You know, those areas that are at more risk of drying up and burning up due to lack of water, uh, we're probably seeing that more often than we do the drown outside. Uh, but anyway, just in the lighter ground, um, when we know an area tends to run out of water often, that's the perfect location to to reduce the load that you're putting on that soil by planting less plants and trying to achieve more seasons of maintaining viable plant health all the way to the end, as opposed to if you overpopulate that light zone where it's common that we run short on water, plants will die early before grain fill, and the yield hit from that is much worse than having uh, five to 10,000 less plants in that spot. That's coming from a question of, of hearing customers talk about it. Like, how do we how do we reconcile the differences in in a dry year versus a wet year? And, and when I hear people talk about, yeah, I don't want to know what to do with variable rate, that's one of the questions that I hear come out of these guys is, is that context. And then I think the other one, you guys have hinted a little bit at it, and that's the, and I think this is going a little bit of Jake's context too, of, of OM matter or OM not um, correlating to perfect yield. What's your thoughts on hybrids? from a seedsman's perspective and how that imports to the soil type and the population we put in that, on that soil type with uh, a couple of, of organic matter. Is it possible that a hybrid planted at the wrong population and good ground will do less, will yield less than what an OM or what that same hybrid is planted at a lower population in a, in a less OM area? Yeah, I mean, hybrid is, is another factor. So when you think about hybrids, we've got, Racehorse hybrids, we got workhorse hybrids, and really that's just a category of uh, a racehorse is going to be high yield potential, but maybe a little bit sensitive to environment and swings in environment or uh, availability of, of critical resources like water and nutrients. So racehorse hybrids always have high potential, but will crash hard if one important aspect for growth ends up coming up short. And a defensive hybrid or a workhorse hybrid, it has the ability to maintain health and maintain a decent yield potential, even in environments where it's not ideal. So if, if it's getting hit by lacking some nutrient availability or lacking a little bit of water or we get a little heat stress in part of the year, a workhorse hybrid tends to hang in there and put on some reasonable yield and uh, it, it'll outperform a racehorse hybrid when conditions are challenging. So those are those are different genetics and different types of hybrids, and they will respond different as far as whether I get the population set correct for a zone in a field. That racehorse hybrid that's very dependent on environment is, is going to swing more if I get the population wrong for a given zone. A uh, workhorse hybrid tends to respond less to plant density, and zones and fields, and that's why they tend to be good ones for challenging zones uh, where we want to put slightly lower population, where the racehorse and its high potential is, is usually the better one for uh, that zone that has a luxury amount of water and nutrients available most years. So you kind of are going essentially where I was hoping we would eventually end up. We jumped into basically multi-hybrid or hybrid selection. I thought we might hit on like variable rate uh, or rates first, but as it turns out, we actually jumped into hybrid first. That's fine. Let's go back into rate. Sorry. And no, <laughs> no, no, that's, that's perfectly fine because it, it, it brings up exactly where I was hoping we would go. I guess in my mind, let's say that I am a grower. I have a, a field that I just do one rate all through the entire field. I have V drive or I have, you know, electric clutches. I plant this entire field at 32,000. Now next year I put on Smart Firmer and it shows me the different OM zones in my field. 
how do we coach or what is the coaching to determine what the right rate should be for this grower? What's that guy's next step forward? Because you kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier, Aaron, about just kind of the hurdle is an apprehension around, I'm not sure what rate now is the right rate. I know I have different zones in my field. And so I want to unpack that just like you just did with hybrid, Corey. How do I coach? First of all, how do I coach somebody into um, this is your next step? And how does that grower decide this is this is the right rate I should be should be doing? Yeah. And uh, and first it starts with having a zone map or a zone layer, either from yield or OM. And another thing I would like to add kind of to what Corey was saying earlier is it's really a risk management probability game is we're not trying to win 100% of the time. We're trying to win more than a flat rate. And so it's it's don't not change because in 2012, a once-in-20-year drought you lost. <laughs> or don't not put a high rate on a good cranking, high population on a good cranking black soil because it drowns out once every six years. You know, and so – Farmers understand probability, and they understand in the long haul that's going to make them the most money. Basically encouraging them to, to take advantage or take steps towards moderate improvements, even if they're not 100%. I'm not going to get that every, a win every single time with every choice. Exactly. If I win more often by a little bit, it'll more than cover. It's just, it's just like marketing grain. Do you win every time? No, you don't win every time, but you try to move towards winning more often. That's that's how we'll walk through how to set a population for a zone with that mindset. The first thing's having the zone layer, and then after we have the zones, again, the first thing I would go to is, you know, the farmer's knowledge of his field. And so he understands the areas that are going to burn up in a dry year. He understands the areas that always have water. And, you know, we start with water and nutrient capacity. And so on the poor um, water-holding soils, he's going to put a less of a population. And on the uh, higher cranking soils that, you know, on a drought year hardly ever run out of water, that's where he's going to put a higher population. And a, a little rule of thumb that we use to uh, to start is, you know, six to seven bushels of their yield goal per thousand plants. So uh, take your yield goal or your average history of that zone and, you know, divide that by around six or seven. That gives you a thousand plants. So, you know, on a sand hill, you know, we might be at 28,000, you know, silt loam, we might be in 32, 34 and then if you get have dark, black, really high-cranking soil, you know, you can push 38. And again, to Corey's point, work with the seedsmen on that, but don't be scared to shift towards, um, towards a better population. So if you know there's always one area of the field that's burning up, at least start backing that down by, you know, two, four, six thousand plants. Um, and, and don't be scared to do that. Would you kind of share that kind of similar sentiment when it comes to like the liquid side of things? So does the conversation that you just had, I mean, obviously we're not talking in thousands of seeds, we're talking in uh, gallons per acre, but is that thought process very similar or same with when we talk about fertilizer application and variable rating? Yep. It is, it is very similar. Another aspect is, you know, how many zones do you want to create? And, you know, some guys I think are just scared. We, you can start with very basic zones and maybe just make three zones in your field, high, low, medium, and start variable rating on those. And as you get more comfortable, you know, fine-tuning those with OM maps and things like that. And then when we move to fertilizer, it's the same way as, you know, let's manage on a zone basis. And for me and Corey, we believe that's, starts with a soil test on a zone basis and managing the soil zones, which OM is going to correlate very well, soil test in accordance to those zones and not to a grid. Then we're understanding, well, how much P 
is this going to give us during the season? How much K, how much nitrogen is, is going to be available? And then we can start managing our in-season program. So, again, we think of um, – I always think of the sand hill or, you know, a low OM ground. You know, how much nitrogen can that supply? You know, can it supply as much as a silt loam? You know, no way. And so that is where we can use V-Apply HD on the planter and, you know, crank up some rates in those uh, soil zones that need more fertilizer because the soil's not supplying it. And the same goes for starter. But it starts with a soil zone. Soil test is very helpful in that scenario. And then we can start managing fertilizer um, better. But even if you don't have a soil test, you still could variable rate based on your knowledge of those zones. Corey, when we were talking the other day, you had kind of said too uh, that I think most of the time your seedsman, I'm switching back to back to seed now on you guys, your seedman has the information on what, I guess the highest population per acre a hybrid can be planted on. Is that correct? Yeah. Do I remember yeah. that conversation right? Yeah, that's correct. So like choosing a population for a given hybrid, I have yet to meet a, meet a seed guy that doesn't have some understanding on a max, a min, and an average for that. And really that's what, what's a good guide to work with. Some hybrids don't have a wide range, and that's because they don't respond. Um, they, they, they have a lot of flex capability. So they, they don't respond to changing plant density, and, and that's good to know because if I'm going to variable rate on a hybrid that doesn't have a big response to changing populations, um, I can probably change by just a thousand plants or so from the good zones to the poor zones in a field, and that's all the range I need. Um, there's other hybrids that have big responses to population changes, and, and those might need a, a larger adjustment zone to zone. Uh, one thing I think is important just in general to make a comment, it typically takes at least a 2,000 plant per acre adjustment to, to even – uh, be messing around with variable rate population, and, and really it should be greater than that. I'd, I'd almost rather see 4,000 plants per acre being your your knob that you're adjusting because really what it comes down to is the density of the plants and the space between the plants, and I don't know what it would be on a, uh, you know, if we, if we knew the numbers, you know, average plant spacing, uh, when I move from 36 to 35,000, what are we changing, a quarter of an inch between a plant? Uh, it's not very much. And so th my point is you've got to move the knob a ways before you really start to make a difference on plant health and availability of nutrients on a per plant basis. It's silly to be messing around with 250 plant per acre changes, 500 plant per acre changes when we talk about corn. We're trying to change the environment that each and every plant has for itself and the available nutrients and water it takes a two to 4,000 plant shift in population before you really start to make a difference on the health of each individual plant. Absolutely. And, you know, we're, we're changing the knob based on how drastic the difference between the soil types are. And so, you know, maybe the two to 4,000 plant, you know, changes in, you know, the Midwest where we're going high to low ground, but, you know, in places where it's even more drastic than that, you know, we might swing from 34,000 all the way down to 26 in the same field. And so how much we change is based on, um, based on how drastic the variability is in that field. But I absolutely agree with Corey that don't go to the hassle of variable rating if we're, you know, if we're changing it by 500 plants. Um, it's not gonna. It's not gonna make a big change in the end result. So I'm a little bit dense, and I kind of need it spelled out a little bit for me. If I am in a, if I just do a a flat rate thirty two thousand, I know that Corey, you had mentioned I think when we were kind of talking in preparation for the podcast yesterday, there's no OM percentage that says this OM percent equals plant at this rate, right? So how do I know that? 32,000 is not, I'm not already at the best place that I should be. I understand that I may have zones to manage differently in my field. How do I know that, that I have a potential to be rewarded by going to a higher rate? 
Probably the best indicator is going to be uh, a farmer's knowledge of what zones in a field are capable of historically. Like we commented earlier, don't ever get hung up on one or two years of a drowned out spot or that sort of thing. It's what do you know about the potential of these different areas of the field? And so if it's 250 bushels per acre in some areas that you're comfortable saying, we see that a lot, and 150 bushels in other areas that you're comfortable saying, that's common in that spot, that is your guide to where you need to be on that population. It comes, you tell seedsmen that, and you say, I'm going to plant this hybrid in a spot that yields typically around 150 bushels, and the reason behind it is it's light soil, runs out of water in late July, early August, tends to be some stress there, and he's going to confidently tell you that it needs a low population to allow those plants to survive and, and maintain some health. What that's going to be is different for, for each and every hybrid. You know, it might be in the twenty five to 28,000 range for that, that low of a zone. And on the flip side, when you've got a zone that, that tends to always support a high-yield number, your seedsman is going to very confidently tell you a higher population to use in, in a spot like that. So that's really where it comes from. There's, there's a lot of variability hybrid to hybrid on the, the sweet spots for population and, and how they react to the environments that we're putting them in. And uh, your, your local seed guy is going to be the best guide to fit it correctly. So kind of a conversation here for everybody in the room. What would be the general recommendation if I'm a dealer that's listening that maybe I'm not? So I, I know like talking to Jake, I think they are also a, a seed dealer at his dealership. What would be maybe the recommendation to a dealer who is not a seedsman? Have we kind of recommended to dealers in the past, hey, it might be a good idea to partner with a seedsman as a form of kind of providing that service, if you will, or partnering with somebody that provides that service for, for your growers? Yeah, I don't know if I have the authority to say that's a good thing, but I I would fully support, you know, working with somebody that's really good at uh, knowing the seed book, for instance, and knowing what populations go in certain areas. Also, there's just nothing that beats a population trial or a hybrid slash population trial. And to your point earlier, talking about, hey, how do I know that 34,000's the sweet pot or 32,000 is a sweet spot or not, it's putting 28,000 and 36,000 next to it. Mm. And, you know, if you can get all the yield of that hybrid at, you know, 26,000, then why are you messing with 32? But if you get more yield when you go up to 36, 38,000, then you are leaving money on the table on both instances. And so um, for me, I would be trying to test out these hybrids in different zones. And especially the first few years, I would just, uh, and V-Drive makes it super easy to change population on a few passes in the field on each end of where I thought was right. And then we can evaluate that later to um, help learn on a field basis, but also on a zone basis where those populations should be. I got to play devil's advocate. Excellent. <laughs> Corey, a couple couple of answers ago, you made the commentary of, if you're not going to make a big change, don't bother making a change at all. And in that same conversation, that same answer, you laid out a, you know, some some hybrids, some some plants, some varieties aren't going to have a lot of swing. They're going to have a, a flex. So they don't respond highly to population density. They respond highly to yield environment or the, the environment and the weather. That's what drives their yield. So, why go through the effort and the pain of variable rate or the, the where's the value in chasing that instead of working with a seedsman who just says, here's a, here's a flex hybrid that will succeed well on your fields. You can plant 32,000 across the whole thing. It's not going to fall off if we get a dry year. And if you get the wet and you got the moisture, it'll take full advantage of it. Yeah, so there are a few of those hybrids out there. Typically they have some downside, uh, meaning, a lot of those that can flex to really take advantage of a good environment, um, they also crash hard on a, on a stressful side, which in some cases 
a seedsman may still recommend a lower population, but you just don't get the consistent response by population changes uh, with those. So it's just not something you can play all your cards on. If if there was a perfect hybrid that you could plant at a flat rate across varying conditions and it just automatically adjusts, you know, that would be a wonderful product. It would be easy to manage, right? The reality is it's a low percentage of hybrids and our, our years and our variations and just the way that we need to manage risk on a farm, we, we can't put all our eggs in in a basket of a, a certain type of genetics that, that acts a certain way. There's always a, a situation that's going to bite us, you know, as far as whatever those limitations are. So um, to have a diversified hybrid portfolio and, and optimize risk uh, each and every season, we just can't count on that. So it is possible that due to hybrid characteristics and lack of response to uh, changing the population and stack that on top of maybe a field that actually has mild uniformity to it, uh, there are situations where you could say, I don't need to mess with changing population because of these situations that are stacking up. And and I think that's okay too. We don't don't necessarily have to expect that we're failing if we don't variable rate by 4,000 plants per acre on, on zones uh, on every single farm for every hybrid. So I would agree with that there, there are a few scenarios out there that it's not necessary. Okay, Corey and Aaron, question on prioritization or a ranking, a, a value add, your impressions on where to start. If I have a new customer just beginning in to variable rate, or if I'm a farmer just getting going in variable rating, where do I start? Do I start with my seed? Do I start with fertility? Uh, and by seed, I mean population density. Maybe I start with multi-hybrid. Uh, we have prescriptions in our new product that we just launched, Smart Depth. Can you rank or prioritize those for me and give me your why? And and this is completely just pulling on threads and, and sure. you guys have, they've had zero now, forethought of this question, I'm getting yeah, some I'm, dirty looks I'm, like, I'm what hoping, the? I'm hoping I agree with Corey. This might, uh, this I'm hoping you don't. I, 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 we'll see where this goes. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, you mean. It's fun to force somebody. To, it's like the customers that ask us, which of our products, if we had to pick one, should they buy first, right? Do I, do I buy the V-Drive? Do I buy Delta Force? Do I buy Clean Sweep? What's the most valuable product to put on my planter? I can only buy one this year. <laughs> uh, that's easy. That's always information. But then we're all about learning here. so Yeah, true. You uh, get the sensors on there first, the right? On. Let's monitor and figure out where we're at. Um, uh, this is it in terms of, like, value or what? In terms of what, Paul? If I've got to chase one, if, if I'm going to, I can only, var- I'm only going to variable rate one. Okay. So if I was not variable rating anything, I would probably start with population, not because it's the biggest payback, but because I think it's the easiest. I would say fertilizer is the biggest payback. We're dealing with, you know, fertilizer costs, trying to cut back, trying to dial in fertilizer on a zone basis has a lot of profitability. Um, But I think seed is just a simpler one to start. If you have V drives, it's literally in the monitor. It's very simple. But on top of that, fertilizer, especially when we get into soil testing and, you know, variable rating dry plus planter is incredibly valuable for dollars to the grower. So so seeding I would put as number one because of its simplicity. Fertilizer I would put as number two because it drives a lot of profitability. And, and really, hybrid would probably be in the mix of there. And depth I would probably put last, not because I don't think it drives profitability, but um, a lot of times with smart firmers, we can change depth with the T-handle. We might be able to manage it with what we have and not have to variable rate. But if we do get in that scenario, depth's a big one too. But I would probably go seeding and then fertilizer so you're talking- in the ranking. Cut your teeth, get some experience on a lower pain, easier to step into population density, then go into target those higher possible or potential yield paybacks, value paybacks on fertilizer and hybrid and round it out with depth. Yeah, exactly. And, and depth, depth will be a big one as well um, because, you know, with smart depth coming, it's going to be very easy to optimize depth similar to seeding across 
across acres, coupling that with Smart Firmer. Um, so that'll be a big payback as well. But right now it's a seeding and then fertilizer. Corey, can you, uh, ch- you want to chime in or? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll approach it. I've seen the wheels turning over there. While Aaron was talking, Corey was deep in thought. There's actually smoke rolling out of my ears right now from, <laughs> from the processors working so hard in my brain. I like to think of it rather than, so I, I like Aaron's approach of, of simple steps to take, right, and, and in that order. So I'll just take it from a different angle, and the angle I'll take it from is is the potential yield impact or profit impact on a farm. I think hybrid Variable hybrid is going to be number one, but it's the most challenging. Uh, and, and the reason it's the most challenging is because we need alignment with our knowledgeable seed seed guy who, who can help us guide where to put it. And we're going to talk more about that later in this today. A um, lot of potential there. Second is going to be population depth. My approach on depth for the context of this conversation is – I'm going to give farmers some credit. I think, I think they are setting depth on average in an appropriate position uh, for conditions. So I'm just sliding it into slot number three for, for this this conversation. But uh, anybody that comes to winter conference this year and has been for the last few years, they they understand that we've been uncovering a lot of opportunities with variable depth. So, given situations, there's there is opportunity there, but. Uh, I think, like Aaron said, there is a T-handle, and I think farmers are, are aware that, that they should adjust for conditions with that one. It's just hard to do uh, on a zone basis in a field. So that's where the opportunity comes in. You know, the reason hybrid is, is number one for me is genetic performance and tolerances for conditions within a zone is really a big deal, and, and figuring out that fit can very consistently add add yield. So I'll keep it as number one. All right. So Aaron, you had mentioned check strips earlier, and I want to dive a little bit deeper into that. The question is, is there a good way to grade if VR was beneficial? So can you expand on, I know check strips are a piece of that. What other ways can I determine that variable rating was beneficial? And also to that, what's the process of creating check strips? Yeah. So maybe I'll start with actually the process of creating check strips or understanding whether, you know, what you're doing is beneficial. It really comes down to uh, in a couple fields a year or fields you're wanting to learn in, you do a population trial with that hybrid or maybe a couple hybrids. And for me, and really the simplest form is, you know, you give it your best shot at what you think the correct population should be. And then, you know, maybe you go 4,000 on each side of that. So you go less or more on each side of it. Depending on your variability, you might want to make that a bigger jump, you know, go 28, 34, 40, you know. And really what you're saying is, did I hit the right one or do I need to trend towards one of those other ones? And and it's incredibly powerful for um, determining if variable rate worked. If you come back, then towards the end of the year, you can run a region report and you can, uh, for those different zones, and you can see which population performed well in those zones. And the process of doing that technically would be to change your population on the planner for a whole planner pass and to label a hybrid. That way it'll be easy to get a region report uh, with tools like FieldView. And then you plant, you label the hybrids, and then when you come back to harvest, uh, make a new load when you go through the field. And sometimes you can learn just in that and seeing the yield for those loads. And then run those region reports and understand, hey, which population did well in some of these uh, scenarios? And like I said, you can do a very complex plot with um, a lot of hybrids and a lot of populations. But if you're just getting into it, just use a handful of hybrids or maybe just your favorite hybrid in a few different, uh, in three populations. Because learning and going in the right direction is better than just sitting at a static, I don't really know if I'm 
getting anywhere um, mindset. Yeah, and I think it's important, too, to call out that when you do this, when you put in the check strips, you want to do it in an area of the field that is as similar as possible. Yeah. Right? Um, so check strips, which basically is a, is a function of being able to take that to yield or check with yield. Uh, seed savings. Yeah. Right? And then is there any other way to determine that, that VR was, I guess, beneficial to that grower? Yeah. And, you know, this is a, a lot tougher one to measure. Uh, but as we see in the industry, there there's growers that – are very passionate about the environment and uh, variable rate is actually incredibly good for the environment because when we over apply nutrients that means they can run off that means they can leach we're leaving a lot in the soil uh, that has environmental impacts and uh, so variable rates actually really good for the environment because we're actually managing specifically for that soil and we're not over applying or under applying or doing things that that soil's not meant for. And so that's especially true on the fertilizer side of over applying fertilizer. And and that's something that we don't think about a lot, but uh, can be important to a lot of farmers out there. All right, welcome back. This is Tyler and Paul again in the studio. We're going to pause there. Yeah. And we had hinted at, in our intro, there was going to be some content in our conversation with Corey and Aaron that focused on multi-hybrid. I didn't hear any in this episode. We didn't get to it. So what I'm getting at is there's more meat on that bone. Yes. And I would say, now this episode and the previous episode where we talked with Corey and Aaron about organic matter. I think these are our longest two episodes to date. And I, I think it's fair to say that they're probably on the longer end of what we would want to have for a Smarter Every Season episode. We want very much to dive in depth to topics and subjects and learn more, especially when we get very knowledgeable people onto the show who can teach us so well. And I don't have short conversations with Corey and Aaron. <laughs> There's a lot to learn there. We don't want to set the precedent that all episodes will be this length. We will rein it in a little bit, and to that nature, we're going to try and keep this wrap-up Nice and short. We look forward to having you back on the next episode where we do get to pull from them a little more learning on multi-hybrid. Yeah, so I think you kind of hit the nail on the head, Paul. Uh, please join us next time, and we dive a little deeper and learn more on multi-hybrid on Smarter Every Season.